to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. I have to be honest with you. Before I approach the scriptures, my heart is broken, heavy. Jeff mentioned in his prayer that again, we've seen senseless killing. The third time in recent weeks, Texas, Buffalo, the church in California, it's a difficult place for me to stand here and try and preach a message with that in the back of my head. At the same time, I mean, it's Memorial Day weekend, and we remember those who have served our country so valiantly and sacrificed their lives. And yet, to be honest, I'm uncomfortable with symbols of our patriotism in the sanctuary. That unsettles me. I'm as patriotic as the next guy. My grandfather served in the Pacific in World War II. I never met my great uncle. He was shot down. He was a tail gunner at Guadalcanal. I'm very thankful for those people. But the conflation of militarism and patriotism and faith seems, I don't know. So I need your prayers right now. So join me in prayer before we approach the Scripture. God, it is difficult sometimes in the midst of life that seems confusing, challenging, hurtful, to read your scriptures and say, what am I to make of this? How am I to live? So God, I ask for your wisdom and your discernment as we approach scripture in an effort to to understand, God, what is it you would have us do? How is it you would have us live? And we pray this in the name of your Son who set the perfect example for all of us. Amen. In this last of the series, Wise Up Wisdom Literature, We read from Ecclesiastes chapter 9, beginning at verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun. And it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few people in it. A great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. Now, there was found in that city a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered the poor man. So I said, 
wisdom is better than might. Yet the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heeded. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Our youngest son left a few months ago for university, for college. He's on the other side of the world. He decided to study there, but through the benefit of technology, we hear from him. FaceTime is a wonderful thing, and he calls periodically, and he called a couple of weeks ago, and he he had some questions. He was struggling with stuff. He had a, an important decision to make, and he called his parents to say, what do you think? A few days later, he's in a text conversation with his mother back and forth. Cindy, she's really the wise one of us. He knows to kind of speak to her about things. And so I asked him if it was okay, and I took a screenshot of the text conversation. So Cindy, knowing that he had this decision to make, asked this question. Did you make any decisions, or did you talk to anyone else? Jason responds, you said I should just finish out what I'm doing. So I was just gonna. Cindy responds, Yes, yes, I did. I just wasn't sure that you were all on board with that. Jason responds, I'm not really, but most of the time, parents are right. (laughs) Ah, the wisdom of youth. (laughs) Now, he was not making a statement there saying, Parents are always right, and you should always listen to them, not even his parents. But in his young life, he's made observations about life. That in general, most parents have the best interests of their children at heart. Parents have lived a little bit longer life. They have a little bit more experience with things. And so he's observed both in his life and in the lives of his peers that parents more often than not are correct about things. He doesn't always heed that wisdom. But in his mind, he understands it. And so in this case, he just thought, well, okay. That's the way that I understand wisdom literature. Wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, which we've been wrestling with for the last couple of weeks, kind of hitting some highlights, are general observations about life. The problem with wisdom literature, for many of us, myself included, is that we find it in the Bible. And because we find it in the Bible... It's Scripture, and we tend to hold the Bible, rightfully so, in very high regard, and therefore, 
Sometimes the wisdom literature that we read, we take as God's honest truth, as a promise from God that this is how things will be. And yet, often it's just observations about how life tends to play out. For instance, as a parent, as a young parent, and maybe you've heard this before, we latch on to verses like Proverbs 22.6. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are older, they will not depart from it. Now, if we take that as a promise from God, when our children grow up and are older and they do depart from it, we have a great deal of hurt and we say, God, you promised. This is the way it's going to be. We did all that we were supposed to do as parents and yet look, we raised them in the church, we raised them in faith and yet they've turned away, they've walked away from faith. We raised them with morals and values and yet now they live in a way that doesn't honor that and they're harming themselves and those around them. God, you promised. Why is it like this? No, in fact, the writer of Proverbs 22.6 is making an observation about life. In general, he's speaking to the parents saying, be wise in the way you raise your children. Nurture them with loving discipline so that when they are older, they have a foundation on which to stand. He could also have said the converse. He could have said, I've observed that those parents who choose not to discipline their children, those children grow up as adults with little moral framework. So that's this verse. Kind of an odd verse that Jeff chose to conclude our wisdom literature, but it's an observation. And so the writer, the teacher here, is making observation about life, and he tells a story. Now, whether he actually saw this or heard this story, he talks about this little community, this little town that's besieged by a king with a great army. They don't know what to do. They're really indefensible. It's a little community. He's got a great army. Why is he here? Why is he bothering us? They're desperate. And in their desperation, there's a wise man in their community, a poor wise man. No one really to speak of. He wasn't a leader of any kind, but he had enough wisdom to help them through. To help them vanquish this king and his army. It doesn't even say how. Because for the writer, for the teacher here, that's irrelevant. The point of the story is... What happens afterwards? And so here in this moment, when there's an opportunity for this town to change, do they? After the king leaves, do they have a big parade to celebrate this wise person? Do they lavish upon him gifts? Do they decide collectively, get together and elect him mayor? Leader of the community. No, none of those things. What did it say? It said, he was not long remembered. 
Soon after the threat was over, people went back to their ordinary lives the way things had been, as if nothing had ever happened. That's the observation that the teacher's making. The teacher here is suggesting that when opportunities come, when things happen in our lives that arrest us, that wake us up, there's an opportunity to do things differently, to change course, and more often than not, we don't. We go back to whatever was before. Are there any examples of that in modern times? Well, there's a couple. I don't know where you were on September 11th, 2001. We were on sabbatical. We were back from overseas and in, in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. About 90 minutes outside of New York City. I remember the song that was on the radio when the news burst forth that the first plane had hit one of the towers. That day was horrific. Those of who have lived through it will never forget that moment. That day. And do you remember the response afterwards? I don't know where you were. I don't know if you're here at RPC, but I remember we were in Pennsylvania. My dad was at a church in California. The churches were full to bursting in the weeks afterwards. Collectively, people were just wondering, asking questions, wondering what is happening, realizing maybe that what I had been pursuing, that the life that we had been living was not all that it was cracked up to be, that there's a transcendence. There's, I need to find deeper meaning and deeper understanding. And the church, my faith, is the place where that resides. But only a few weeks afterwards, as things calmed down and it seemed like the attacks were over, people went back to normal. Those who had filled the churches briefly looking for answers, searching for the transcendent, just went back to whatever was before, for the most part. There was an opportunity to learn, to grow, to change, to alter direction, and yet for most, it wasn't taken. What about something more recent? The last two years, this pandemic, this COVID nonsense has been really hard and very stressful. Many of us, myself included, have lost loved ones to this illness. But there has been kind of an underlying theme for many people of some positive that has come out of it. All of a sudden, everyone was forced home. Cindy and my children, who were scattered all over the country, all of a sudden came back to our town. And again, we shared meals together, slowly, not rushing off anywhere. And we broke out the board games and the card games, and there was laughter. Yes, certainly there was concern about what was happening and the illness. I've heard the same for many of you. The busy schedules, the running children or grandchildren everywhere, the constant traveling, if I'm a business person, 
all of that stopped and we took a breath and said, wow, this is what we've been missing. And we vowed to ourselves that we would carry on, that we're not going to let this go. This is too important. I've learned something here. And yet, I've seen it. I've seen it in the last six, eight months or so that the stress is back in many eyes. That the shuttling back and forth is all over again. That the opportunities to stop and take some time to go baking or to play games or long conversations over the dinner table are a thing of the past as we cram food down and rush off to the next thing. All that stress that had been reduced, that had been relieved as we're allowing it back into our lives and we didn't even like it the first time. We're wondering, how did we get here? An opportunity to instill, to listen to God's voice and say, hey, slow down. Prioritize. These are the things that matter. Not the full and packed schedules. Not the busyness or the stress. Not the accumulation of more stuff. These relationships. The opportunity to worship together in our pajamas, watching a live stream and then cooking breakfast together. Sharing time together. When you called young Jeffrey here, you called a preacher. And a preacher is more likely to kind of wrap things up in a nice bow and say, well, here's what I've discerned and this is what you're to do with it. Here's some wisdom. Here's some teaching. Go and live this way. When you called me here, you called a teacher. And as a teacher... I'm much more likely to say, this is something that you, we need to figure out for ourselves, each and every one of us. What are we to do when we're given opportunities to change direction, to alter course? How do we respond to that? Because things that we learn for ourselves, we're much more likely to apply to our lives than something that's just handed to us. Now, I don't know. I really don't know why the teacher raises this little vignette, this little story about this town. Perhaps, if you're looking at it on a positive day and want to look at it from a positive framework, you might say, the teacher shares this illustration as an opportunity for people to recognize the habit of reverting back to what is comfortable, what is normal when opportunities arise to change. If you're reading this and other wisdom literature from a more fatalistic perspective, you might read it and say that the teacher here is saying simply, this is how things are. This is how it is. Even if we want to, even if people desire to do things differently, they just are stuck in these patterns. That's hard. That's hard for me to hear and understand, again, when the horrific 
slaying of children again says that's an opportunity for us to, to change, to, to take on God's wisdom and say there's got to be something different. We have to do something different. I want to be positive in that way, but there's part of me that says I don't, I don't know that there's the will. I don't know that we have the gumption. And perhaps, perhaps that's just how things are. That in a few days or a few weeks' time, for the vast majority of us, we'll have forgotten about those children in Texas or those people outside the supermarket in Buffalo or the people in church in California until it happens again and in a few months' time. And we're like, oh yeah, we'll just go back to life as normal. I know that's hard. It's hard for me too. If we gain any wisdom or any insight from our search of wisdom literature, the teacher concludes with this. And I believe in reading this, it's the good place to begin our growth and our pursuit of wisdom as it is a good place to end or conclude says this, verse 13, chapter 12, the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep God's commands, for this is the whole duty of everyone. Our duty as brothers and sisters in Christ, as pursuers of the hope that we find in Christ, is to fear, to remain in awe of God and live according to God's commands as best we are able. That's the wisdom. And perhaps when we're given opportunities, something that arrests our lethargy, wakes us up, Perhaps we grab hold of that opportunity to reorient ourselves, to change direction, to do something different, to pursue a different life that God has for us. Amen. I want to spend a moment, Jeff's going to kill me, but in silence before I invite Randy up here, to just remember, to pray silently, to ask God, what is it you would have me do? How is it you desire me to respond? God, help me to live the wisdom that you teach. And then I'll pray for us. Let's just be silent for a moment.
God, you know us and you love us. And many of us have heavy hearts for all sorts of reasons, because of the tragedies that have happened, gun violence, because we are remembering those who we have lost or those who have sacrificed themselves for our nation. Because we recognize that the opportunities that you've given us to change and do things differently, we have maybe ignored. God, don't give up on us. God, continue to move us, to mold us, to shape us into the people you created us to be. We know that it's only by your strength and your power, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that that is even possible. So come. Come and fill us. Renew us. Continue to create in us the lives that you desire us to live. We pray this in Christ's name. been listening to the RPC Sermons podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.